Books and Arts. Book review. Fighting falsehood. Not gonna lie. Diagnosing the problem of rampant dishonesty is easier than solving it. Liars, by Cass Sunstein. This is an apt moment for a book about the American legal system's treatment of lies. Donald Trump's presidency kicked off with a lie about the size of the crowd at his inauguration and degenerated into a four-year extravaganza of flimflam. After he lost to Joe Biden, he and his supporters disseminated the biggest lie in the history of modern American politics: that he had won the election only to have it stolen. The propaganda campaign culminated in a violent assault on the Capitol and Mr. Trump's second impeachment. At his trial, Republicans argued that, regardless of whether Mr. Trump's claims were lies, as long as he did not call for violence, he had a constitutional right to make them. Under current law, they were probably right. The Supreme Court was long ambivalent as to whether falsehoods are protected by the free speech guarantee of the First Amendment to America's Constitution. But in 2012, in United States v. Alvarez. The court, for the first time, held that freedom of speech covers not just truth, opinion, and mistakes, but bare-faced lies. The defendant had boasted of playing hockey for the Detroit Red Wings and winning the Congressional Medal of Honor. The second lie violated the Stolen Valor Act, which barred false claims of receiving military decorations. But the court struck down the law. Worried that if Congress could stop people making one type of statement, it could stop them making any. Cass Sunstein, a law professor and formerly an official in Barack Obama's White House, finds the Alvarez ruling absurd. He thinks the court was right that falsehoods should normally enjoy First Amendment protection, since no one wants the government investigating everyday fibs. But freedom of speech, like all rights, has limits. In one famous formulation, no one has a right to shout "fire" in a crowded theater. There are laws against incitement, fraud, false advertising, and defamation. Mr. Sunstein wants to draw these limits a bit more tightly, especially because of the internet's staggering power to amplify untruths. His argument is convincing as far as it goes, but it does not go far enough. What is wrong with saying things that are not true? In some cases, nothing. Mr. Sunstein does not share the Kantian view that lying is wrong on principle. Instead, taking J.S. Mill's utilitarian stance that it is bad when it hurts people, this leaves room for white lies. One reason falsehoods should normally be considered protected speech. Is that officials are not sufficiently well informed to second-guess citizens as to whether a given lie is beneficial. They also cannot reliably tell whether someone is lying or merely deluded. Most important, punishing falsehoods would deter others from voicing their opinions or even their imprecise memories. Yet some kinds of false speech are too dangerous to allow. To clarify the stakes. Mr. Sunstein draws a grid showing degrees of culpability, from conscious lying to mere mistakes, 
and of the imminence, certainty, and gravity of the damage, from immediate catastrophe to possible erosion of norms. Established laws against some kinds of false speech tend to respect these distinctions. In America, incitement requires a link to an imminent crime. Fraud and defamation need proof that offenders knew or should have known their claims were false and that someone was harmed. One area where Mr. Sunstein finds the law too narrow is defamation. The current standard was set in 1964 by New York Times Company v. Sullivan, in which a police commissioner in Alabama sued over an advertisement placed by civil rights activists that had minor inaccuracies. Finding for the paper, the Supreme Court established that a public figure who brings a defamation case must prove actual malice, either deliberate lying or a reckless disregard for the truth. Awarding damages for mere mistakes would impoverish debate, the court ruled. That comported with an older doctrine, established by Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, which holds that the best test of truth is the power of the thought to get itself accepted in the marketplace of ideas. The remedy for false speech is not a ban, but promoting more speech, counter-speech, as Mr. Sunstein puts it, in the confidence that the truth will win out. That principle is no longer as convincing as it once seemed. Mr. Sunstein summarizes decades of psychological research showing that people embrace congenial lies rather than difficult truths and cling to them more firmly when confronted with contradictory evidence. Flashy whoppers spread faster than complex facts and are remembered even after being debunked. Falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after it, so that when men come to be undeceived, it is too late, as Jonathan Swift concluded three centuries ago, even without double-blind experiments. Mendacity flies even faster online. Salacious posts attract attention and retweets. Few users bother to share corrections. With the advent of social media shaming, Average folk now experience the public humiliation once reserved for tabloid-worthy celebrities. Deep fakes show people doing things they never did with near-perfect verisimilitude. In these circumstances, salvaging a reputation with counter-speech seems a tall order. Mr. Sunstein's analysis is solid, but his solutions are vague. He calls for warnings and disclosures by social media platforms to inform people that what has been said is not true, a task such firms have hitherto struggled to perform. He suggests a low cap on damages in libel suits to lessen their chilling effect and make it possible to scrap the actual malice requirement. But paltry payouts might be a disincentive to sue, even if the chances of success were higher. He is less helpful on how to fight non-defamatory political lies, such as COVID-19 denialism, which harm all of society rather than someone specific. He abjures state regulation of such speech, again shunting most of the responsibility onto those social media outfits, which again have so far not proved up to the job.
His book barely mentions the most vehemently prohibited kind of false speech, perjury. It is treated in passing as a form of prohibition that, like libel, gets a constitutional pass because of its long common law tradition and in which the likelihood of imminent harm is similar to false advertising. But Mr. Sunstein does not see the irony in a judicial system exempting itself from the principle that a free marketplace of ideas is the best guarantor of truth. America's courts maintain that the First Amendment gives citizens a right to lie unless they are speaking to those same courts. Then it is a felony punishable by up to five years in jail. The Republican campaign of electoral repudiation highlighted this paradox. On television and in social media, Mr. Trump and his lawyers leveled charges of massive ballot fraud against Democrats, state governments, and voting machine companies. Yet as soon as those lawyers entered a courtroom, where false assertions might be punished, the baseless claims abruptly vanished. Broadcast networks that lent credence to such allegations now face multi-billion dollar defamation suits brought by voting machine firms and have begun blocking guests from repeating them. Social media platforms, which are legally exempt from liability for their users' statements, still circulate them. Uncomfortably, but undeniably, in this episode, severe legal penalties have done a better job than counter-speech at safeguarding the integrity of public debate. Indeed, because the law offers remedies to parties that suffer financially from defamation, in America and elsewhere, speech focusing on lawyered-up corporations is likely to be more truthful than that about government bodies and other soft targets. The result is a sort of fake-news tragedy of the commons, in which big companies and the rich are fairly represented in public discourse, while the state and civil society sink into a swamp of disinformation. Mr. Sunstein refers several times to the need for Internet platforms to discourage dangerous falsehoods through choice architecture. He even suggests the government might use regulations to promote this, but he makes little effort to explore what it might entail, apart from the content monitoring that social media companies already deploy with limited success. He approaches lying mainly as a problem of individuals deciding whether or not to tell the truth, rather than one of systems optimized to spread true or false speech. In the age of the Internet, this focus on individual responsibility seems antique and the distinction between lying and inadvertent falsehood flimsy. How to decide if a tweeter is lying, deluded, or just trying to maximize their likes and shares? It is difficult to know whether Mr. Trump, a huckster raised on the all-American dictum that the best salesmen believe their own spiels, actually thinks the election was stolen from him. The con man's eternal excuse is that he says what the rubes want to hear. The Internet in its current architecture is like a distributed con artist powered by artificial intelligence and instantly generating any falsehood that pleases a substantial audience. Perhaps Mr. Sunstein is right, and American law, solicitous of freedom of speech, can't do much about this. In that case, 
the big struggles to protect democracy from lies will take place not in the courts, but inside technology firms, and will require a different book to chart them.